Hello, everyone. This is Kristen from Arkansas Children's Hospital, and you're listening to the Live, Learn, Play podcast. Today's episode is from our Facebook Live Ask the Experts series, where we sit down with our team members for an in-depth chat about their specialty. As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this Ask the Experts chat. I'm here with Dr. Matthew Bell, a pediatric immunologist and allergist at Arkansas Children's Northwest. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Bell. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right in. Tell me a little bit about what you do in your medical background. So uh, I grew up in Arkansas. I went to med school at UAMS and did a combined residency in internal medicine and pediatrics at UAMS and Arkansas Children's in Little Rock. And then went on to complete a fellowship in allergy and immunology at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And then came back and was on full-time faculty at Children's in Little Rock for two years uh, prior to moving up here to Northwest Arkansas, where I am on part-time faculty at Arkansas Children's Northwest, in addition to uh, having a private practice here in Northwest Arkansas. And so I've practiced um, allergy and immunology in kids, uh, as well as in adults for the last nine years, and love it, and hopefully can give some folks tips today in in terms of how to deal with uh, everyone's favorite time of year. Uh, So growing up in Arkansas, you know just how bad it can be here. And the pollen doesn't seem to be holding back this year. It's already started (laughs) for me and my youngest. So how common are seasonal allergies in kids? So estimating the prevalence of, of any kind of allergy in a population group can be a little bit of a challenge because a larger number of people feel like they have allergies, whether that be, you know, pollen allergies or food allergies or drug allergies, than the number of people who actually have those. And so some studies in the pediatric population have suggested that up to 40% of kids have seasonal allergy, uh, nasal allergy symptoms. More conservative studies suggest that number is probably closer to 15 to 20% when you really look at folks that have documented evidence of, of seasonal allergies. You know, it's always surprising when I see someone in clinic who has thought for years that they've been allergic uh, to, you know, pollen or, you know, animal dander or whatever that may be. Um, And then we test them and they're not. And that's often a big shock to folks. And so pollen obviously affects folks that are allergic because it's triggering an immunologic reaction whereby you have binding of pollen proteins to uh, antibodies called IgE that then trigger the release of histamine and other substances that cause the symptoms we classically think of as hay fever, sneezing, itchy, watery eyes, et cetera. But even in folks that are not allergic, pollen is a solid particle, right? It's not a gas. It does not, uh, we have to do something with it because we don't want to get that stuff in our lungs, which is one of the main reasons that the nose functions like it does. It it filters out a lot of those non-gas solid particles And it does so in a couple of ways. It does so by swelling to limit airflow, but it also produces more mucus, which can hopefully trap some of those, whatever those non-gas particles are, whether that's dust or pollen or fragrance molecules, et cetera. And so even folks that don't have allergies in a state like Arkansas, where uh, pollen is a big contributor to the non-gas particles in our air, they can still have some symptoms this time of year, um, but it's going to be those folks that are 
that are truly allergic. Uh, and if we're talking about spring, truly allergic to tree pollen and grass pollen, which are our major springtime allergens, those folks are the ones that are going to have the, the more severe symptoms. That is a, I'm so glad that you answered that because everybody might sneeze around pollen because that's what our bodies are designed to do, but a sneeze does not an allergy make. So Absolutely. tell me what are the symptoms to look for that would differentiate between I'm responding to a normal thing and I have allergies. So one of the, and you can, you can ask my nurses about this, but one of the first questions that I always ask a patient that's coming in for uh, evaluation of nasal allergies, obviously, if they're old enough to be able to answer the question, is what is your worst nasal symptom that you blame on allergies? And I've found that the answer to that question does a lot in predicting whether that person is actually going to be allergic or not. And so if somebody tells me that, that the thing that bothers them the very most is they can't quit sneezing or they want to claw their eyes out because they itch so bad, almost every one of those people is allergic. If they tell me any other symptom, and the, most, the, the other most common ones I hear are constant congestion, post-nasal drainage, cough, sore throat, things like that. If I had to put a number on how many of those folks are allergic, it's probably 20, 30%. It's not very high. Now, folks that are allergic and tell me that they can't quit sneezing, they may also have significant congestion or they may, may also have a lot of post-nasal drip, but it's that, it's that answer to the, what's the very first symptom or the very worst symptom you have um, that really goes a long way. And so if you look at studies, repetitive sneezing is the symptom that's most inextricably linked to having nasal allergies. So that's sneezing more than four or five times in a row. Like you mentioned earlier, everyone sneezes. I sneeze, I'm not allergic, but it's those people who would just, and we've all seen it, sneeze, 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 sneeze over and over again. Um, those people are almost all allergic. Um, those people who just have the, you know, have allergic shiners and their eyes are all red and watery and they can't, I mean, it's a classic. You think about how a cartoon would depict somebody with seasonal allergies. That's what seasonal allergies look like. You know, once in a blue moon, you'll see that person that comes in and says, I don't really sneeze and I don't have itchy eyes, but I'm congested all the time. And once in a blue moon, that person will be allergic. But sneezing and, and itchy, watery eyes and clear, drippy, runny nose are much stronger signs of allergic rhinitis, which is what we call nasal disease caused by allergies than say congestion or post-nasal drip or, or sore throat. Are there any symptoms specific to children that may not be present in adults or are they all about the same? So, and this is a little bit anecdotal on my part, um, younger kids, and this may be a little bit of a failure of communication uh, with those younger kids, but I don't tend to see a comparative percentage of kids with allergies that have really, really terrible eye symptoms. As they get older, you know, school age years, sure, they're going to start to develop those. But I feel like eye symptoms tend to be more prominent in the adult population than the pediatric population. In terms of the other symptoms, really, no. Uh, kids do tend to get a little more of the physical um, manifestations that we associate with allergies. For instance, the dark circles under the eyes, which are called allergic shiners. They tend to get what's called the transverse nasal crease, which is a crease above the tip of the nose that is caused by 
uh, repetitively doing what's called the allergic salute, which is pushing their nose up and they actually will get a crease right across there. Uh, I don't see that as often in adults, but by and large, the symptoms are very, very similar between people of any age group. I should add one little caveat here and a question that we get a lot is, you know, I will frequently have parents bringing in their 10 month old baby with concerns about allergies. And while it's possible for a kid less than two to have allergies to some year round triggers, dust mite, dog, cat, things like that, the likelihood of a two year old having pollen allergy or seasonal allergy is very, very, very low. And typically what we see in those kiddos is it's just, their immune systems are still maturing. Every virus they come into contact with, they're seeing it for the first time. And, you know, a, a two-year-old's going to have symptoms of a viral respiratory illness about 200 days a year, which is really crazy. But I can count on one hand the number of two-year-olds I've had with significant seasonal allergic rhinitis. So I typically think that really develops between age two and five where they start to develop those tree pollen allergies and grass pollen allergies. It takes repetitive exposure um, to an allergen to develop allergies. And if we think about, for instance, maple trees pollinate for like seven to 10 days every spring. And so your typical two-year-old has only had about 14, you know, about two weeks total of maple pollen exposure. And that may not be enough to actually cause an allergy to develop. So just a little, little uh, a caveat I wanted to throw in there. It's very interesting. I never thought about that. So as a parent, is there anything that, that we can do to keep these allergies at bay? If they are, you know, allergies, should we wash the clothes extra or, you know, shower more often? Is there anything we can do to keep it from becoming an issue? There are some things that we can do to not eliminate our exposure. We can't live in a bubble all spring, but we can do things to um, at least decrease how much we're exposed to, to pollens during times of year when there's a lot of pollen out. You mentioned, um, so washing the, the clothes uh, frequently. I recommend nightly baths and washing the hair for any, any kid that has uh, seasonal allergies because you want to remove those things, um, you know, before we spend eight hours in bed with hair that's full of grass pollen, for instance. Um, you want to the the whole air purifier question is one that I'm I've never really gone one way or another on. I'm not sure how much benefit you get there, but if you're going to spend your money on something, um, upgrade the filters on your HVAC unit. You know they're all going to have a, a it's called a MERV M E R V rating, and you know the old school blue fiberglass ones that you can see through. You can obviously pass anything through those. So what you're looking for is Filters, and they'll say allergen or something on them, but the MERV rating needs to be about nine or higher. And what that rating gives you is how big the pores are. And so, you know, allergens can be as small as about 2.5 microns, which is just impossibly small. Um, but that's where you want, if you're going to spend money on anything for air purification, that's going to be the most bang for your buck because those are filtering that outside air, um, you know, as it goes into the house. Um, keep the windows closed. I know it's the time of year when it's finally warm and everyone wants to just turn the AC off and pop those windows up and really enjoy that fresh air. But again, 
with that fresh air, anything that's in that air is also coming in. Um, fans, fans can be an issue because they're constantly circulating that pollen and keeping it from settling. Pollen that's settled on a surface, whether that's a windowsill or a desk or whatever, is not pollen that's going to get to our nose unless it's disturbed. And that's where fans and things that can stir those pollen grains up uh, can become a problem. And then the last thing I would say is pollen loves early morning hours and it loves dry, windy days. If we can minimize our outdoor activities, um, especially between the hours of about six to eight in the morning, and then especially on days that are dry or windy, we're going to reduce our pollen exposure. When it's very humid outside, pollen tends to fall out of the air pretty quickly and it doesn't get released as well when it's humid outside. So when it's, when it's dry and, and especially when it's windy, that's when things are going to be the worst. You know, we don't like the rain as much, but we do like it this time of year when it washes all that pollen away. Absolutely. So Dr. Bell, are there any medications that we should have on hand at home that can help with these allergy symptoms? Yeah. So another, obviously a question that I get every day and what it boils down to is there's about three different of secret prescription medicines that nobody can get unless they go see somebody that's a specialist. All the medicines I use, except for maybe a couple that I use for allergy symptoms, they're all over the counter now. And so the three classes that I typically use are oral antihistamines, uh, nasal steroid sprays, and then antihistamine eye drops. Um, and so oral antihistamines kind of get billed as this multi-purpose allergy pill. And a lot of people call them allergy pills. We're talking like like cetirizine, which is Zyrtec, or loratadine, which is Claritin, or fexofenadine, which is Allegra. Um, in all actuality, they're very, very narrow spectrum drugs. And so people will sometimes say, well, I took Claritin for a while and then it quit working. And so I switched and then I took Zyrtec for a while and it quit working. I switched. And generally what's happening there is people are expecting more out of antihistamine pills or liquid versions for kids, they're expecting more out of those than they can actually provide. And so liquid or, or pill form antihistamines are really only going to help with sneezing. They're going to help with itchy nose and to a lesser degree, kind of clear runny nose. And they're going to help some with itchy, watery eyes. And that's really it. If congestion is a problem, they're not going to touch congestion because those medicines block histamine which is the cause of sneezing and runny nose and, and itchy stuff. But histamine has nothing to do with congestion. And so if people say those aren't working for me anymore, I usually ask them, well, what's, what's the symptom? What's going on? And uh, nine times out of 10, it's I just, I'm so congested. And, you know, that's when we tell them, hey, those things aren't going to help congestion. But for classic hay fever symptoms, I say itchy, runny, sneezy stuff. Over-the-counter, second-generation antihistamines are gonna be the ticket. One thing I will say, and this is something that uh, I tell my, my parents uh, of the kids I see, if you look at a bottle of Zyrtec, for instance, let's say I have a, an eight-year-old kid and I'm using the liquid Zyrtec, it's gonna say give a teaspoon once a day. And that may work for a large portion of kids, but kids tend to metabolize antihistamines like Zyrtec and Claritin and Allegra faster than what we see adults do. And what that can lead to is a situation where, all right, we're giving them antihistamine in the morning, and then they're just miserable when they get home from school. And we're like, dang, you know, 
it's supposed to work for 24 hours. And so my advice with those, again, we're talking about the safe second generation antihistamines. We'll talk about the the B word in a minute, which uh, you'll get to hear my soapbox rant about, about Benadryl. But um, when we're talking about Zyrtec, Claritin, Allegra, it is fine to do a second dose 12 hours later. So for that eight-year-old kid, I give them a teaspoon in the morning and a teaspoon in the evening. You can certainly ask your doctor or pharmacist about that. But coming from an allergist, I kind of view those antihistamines as 12-hour meds uh, in most of my pediatric population. We also use topical antihistamines, like I mentioned. And I say they're over-the-counter. That's just been in the last year or so. Pataday is the one that we recommend most often over-the-counter. And antihistamine eye drops are something that I kind of think about for breakthrough eye symptoms. So if we're cruising, you know, starting Monday, we do pretty well Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, we spend a lot of time outdoors and we come in and our eyes are really itching. That's when we can do a drop in each eye of something like Pataday and get some kind of breakthrough relief. And so I keep those in the fridge. Uh, they feel a lot better if they're cold going in the eye. We use Pataday as a prescription uh, eye drop for years before it was released over the counter. And those types of medicines are safe really at any age. And it is a fight to get kids to do eye drops sometimes, but if their eyes are just on fire and they want to claw them to pieces, then they'll usually do whatever you say to make that stop. And so that kind of gets me to the third medicine that we recommend um, using. And it's kind of the, the Swiss army knife, if you will, of nasal medications. And those are our nasal steroid sprays, which are as of last week, all over the counter now. Nasonex was the last one that wasn't. Um, and so we're talking about Flonase and its generic version, Fluticasone. Um, we're talking about Nasacort, which is Triamcinolone. We're talking about Rhinocort, which is Budesonide. And then Mometazone, which is Nasonex that you'll see over the counter uh, in the months to come. These are some of the most, I think, misunderstood and misused medicines there are. Nasal steroid sprays are the best allergy medicine I have. They're also great because they work for people that don't have allergies that have a lot of congestion, but they have to be used consistently. They're gonna take about five days to really, really start working. And then if you just stop there and you don't use them again for a couple of weeks, you know, you're gonna start that clock over again and you're constantly chasing your tail. And so what I tell folks about nasal steroids is you don't necessarily have to do them 365 days a year. But for instance, if you know that spring and fall are going to be really problematic, then I would definitely get on those things and use them for, you know, say March, April, May, and then again, August, September, October. That kind of gets us through grass and, I mean, tree and then the majority of grass pollen season, and it gets us through weed pollen season as well. And it maybe take a break in the middle of the summer and, and over the winter, but doesn't hurt to do them every day. But if you're not doing them, you know, consistently for several weeks at a time, you're really missing out on benefit. And so I would say the majority of my allergy patients that I treat are on, um, you know, loratadine or Claritin is, is a little bit of a step back from the other two. So I usually use, I mean, Zyrtec or Cetirizine has about the best cost benefit ratio. And so I have folks on, on, on Cetirizine one to two times a day, I have them on one to two sprays of a nasal steroid spray daily. And then I have some antihistamine eye drops available for them to use for breakthrough symptoms. And for most folks, that's enough to at least make things manageable uh, during the allergy season. 
I've got a question about nasal sprays because I've got a allergic kid at home that has to have that. If he sneezes right after you do it, do you have to do it again or does it get in there quick enough? It generally gets in there quick enough. Um, so, you know, all of these are, are aqueous medications. So the, the steroid molecule is suspended in a either a water-based uh, vehicle, which is the case for all the ones I mentioned except for Flonase. And then Flonase is suspended in an alcohol-based vehicle, which is why if you compare nose sprays, Flonase or fluticasone is the one that kind of has that funny smell and taste. Mm -hmm. If that's a problem, switch to one of the water-based ones and they'll typically tolerate it. But as soon as that water-based solution hits the mucus in the nose, the, the steroid is gonna stick on there pretty well. And so it's a frequent response for kids to sneeze right afterwards, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to redo the dose. They're probably getting enough of it to make a difference. The one thing I would also caution with nasal sprays is when we use them, if you'll take the tip of the bottle and point it to the corner of your eye on the same side, that's the direction the bottle needs to go in the nose. It doesn't need to go straight up. It doesn't need to point towards the middle the more of the spray that gets on the septum or the middle part of our nose, what that's gonna cause is, that's where we can get some nosebleeds. Um, the, the blood vessels on the nasal septum are very shallow and they're easy to unroof. And, and that's what causes uh, some of the nosebleeds that we can see with, with nasal steroid sprays. So make sure we're aiming those things out and up. And the other thing I would caution is don't tilt our head way back. Um, because that's going to induce us to swallow more of it. And the more of the, you know, the larger percentage of the spray we swallow, the less is available to actually help us in our nose. And so I have people actually tilt the head a little bit forward, put the, the spray in at that angle we described and go, you know, spray, spray, and then just a gentle sniff, like you're sniffing a flower. You want to keep, because the harder we sniff, we're going to, suck more down the back of our throat and swallow it. And we don't want that. So just a gentle sniff. And then if we're doing two sprays in each side, you know, just repeat that process, spray, spray, and then gentle sniff. One I've had some luck in, if nothing else is tolerated, um, we had a prescription product that was called Veramist, which we loved in kids, not because the medicine was any different, but because the device was different and it was a much finer mist. And um, so if, if you've got a kid that is really just, you're struggling to get these nose sprays in, Veramist is now available over the counter as Flonase Sensimus. It's a little bit different bottle shape. You know, Flonase or generic Flonase is gonna be in a brown glass bottle. This is more of a teardrop shaped bottle with a little button on the side. And I've had luck with that one, even when no other nose sprays were, were tolerated. And I like the tip about pointing it out a little bit because I didn't, I didn't know that. I'm going to try that when we get home. So you mentioned that you have strong thoughts about Benadryl. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I'm up in my Rogers clinic today and in my Fayetteville clinic, I've got a framed picture on the wall. That's a box of Benadryl with a circle and a line through it. It's worthless as an allergy medicine, which is a big shock to a lot of folks, especially, I mean, even in the medical community, it's still ingrained in people's heads that allergy equals Benadryl. Um, and unfortunately, that's kind of way behind the times. Um, Benadryl was discovered in 1946. Um, it was approved by the FDA in the 50s. Um, and just really, 
kind of got grandfathered in with without being studied a lot. Um, I'm not sure it would pass muster if we were trying to resubmit it through the FDA as an over-the-counter medication. And so my problems with Benadryl are multifold. Number one is the obvious side effects, which is probably why Benadryl, we probably use Benadryl more for the side effects now than we actually do to try to be an antihistamine. You know, oh, we can't sleep at night. We'll take a little bit of Benadryl and then it'll help you sleep, which is really not true. It doesn't help you sleep well. It may put you to sleep. But so drowsiness is a big side effect. In little kids, sometimes we can see the opposite. We can see it be more of an activating type medicine. So I frequently hear that, that, oh, my kid had the exact opposite response. But the bottom line is there are some neuropsychiatric side effects with it that are not great. Um, Number two, its length of action is very, very short. If you look at a box of Benadryl, it's going to recommend dosing every four hours or six hours, somewhere in that range. So you're needing to take it throughout the day. And while the antihistamine effect wears off after a couple hours, that drowsiness may last for eight or 10 hours. And so you're sandwiching together these long periods of drowsiness to get these short durations of activity. And so bad side effects, neuropsychiatric side effects, you got to dose it too often. Um, it can cause dry mouth. It can cause urinary retention. Um, and one of my favorite studies that I like to show people about Benadryl is this uh, study was done about 20 years ago. And they actually took a group of adults that were known allergy sufferers. And they were comparing the effects of Fexofenadine, which is Allegra, which we know does not cross the blood-brain barrier and therefore cannot cause any neuropsychiatric symptoms. So Allegra, Benadryl, 80-proof vodka. These were the three comparators. And then what they did is they had a driving simulator. They weren't putting these people behind the wheel of a real car, but it was a simulated driving exercise. And what they wanted to see was what are the comparative effects of each of these on driving? And obviously they found that the Allegra didn't have any effect because it's not not affecting the brain in any way. Alcohol had the expected effect. It reduced reaction time, it uh, impaired coordination, things like that. But by far and away, the, the worst of the three tested was Benadryl. So a single 25 milligram dose of Benadryl across the board performed worse than say a 200 pound guy they were giving him about eight ounces of vodka and putting him in a driving simulator. And the Benadryl folks did way worse than the alcohol folks, which that always kind of hit home to me. So side effects are bad, doesn't last very long, causes some cognitive impairment, may increase the risk for things like Alzheimer's later in life. Canada finally got wise and made it a scheduled medication, which the schedule they put it on, it doesn't, still doesn't have to have a prescription, but its dispensation is, is regulated by the pharmacist who may suggest better options, like we mentioned earlier, the non-sedating second generation antihistamines. And so Benadryl is a worthless drug. It's an ancient drug. It's a drug that we don't need to use anymore. It doesn't work faster than other antihistamines. Cetirizine or Zyrtec works about the fastest of all the antihistamines. And so for long-term treatment, pick one of those three that I mentioned. If we need something in an in acute event, so let's say we get some hives or something like that and we would reach for the Benadryl normally, reach for Zyrtec instead. It's gonna work faster, it's gonna last longer, it's not gonna knock you out. And so that's my Benadryl soapbox. 
I'm sure everybody in my clinic is tired of hearing it, but here it is for the first time on, on Facebook Live. So, Well, we appreciate you stepping up for a minute on your soapbox <laughs> and letting us know about that. So last question I have for you. At what point should you take your child in to see an allergist about the symptoms that they have during high pollen season and seasonal allergy season? Sure. So um, there's a lot of nuance to that question. Um, some people just want to know what their kids are allergic to, and that's fine. You know, obviously that's something that, that we can answer pretty quickly in the allergist office. But when I really think an allergist needs to be involved is, you know, if symptoms are just there year round. So, you know, they may be worse in the spring and fall, but they're just, they really never go away. Number two, if we're on good allergy medicines, like we mentioned earlier, and those are still not resulting in, you know, complete freedom from symptoms. Um, number three, if we have a disease like asthma, uh, that's being worsened by allergies. That's when, to me, it becomes a little bit more important for us to get involved because sometimes getting the allergy symptoms under control can make asthma easier to control. And so those would be my big, my big three reasons. You know, medicines aren't working. There's another disease that's being affected by allergies um, or if symptoms are just, if you just never get a break from them. We can give information, you know, like I've given today, on medication regimens, on which medicines to use for which symptoms, maybe which times of year to focus on being really compliant with those medications. And then last of all, um, you know, the kind of penultimate therapy for allergies is uh, what are called allergy shots. So essentially a series of injections, which kids just love to hear that word, but basically we're taking the pollens and dander or whatever that somebody's allergic to and over the course of about a year, giving them a weekly dose of that allergen that just increases over time. And at the end of the first year, they're getting a pretty good uh, dose of allergen, a pretty big dose of allergen. And then what we do is we space that out to monthly. We do that for three or four more years. And the benefit there is that at the end of that time, we can stop allergy shots. And moving forward, that person doesn't have to worry about significant allergy symptoms in the future. So not right for everybody, you know, somebody that just has a week or so in the spring and probably not worth their time, but somebody whose symptoms are year round, somebody whose symptoms are not responsive to medicine, somebody who has asthma that's worsened by allergies, allergy shots may end up being an option for some of those folks. And that's something that we can always discuss. Very good information. Thank you so much, Dr. Bell, for joining us today. It was very informative. And as an allergy sufferer, I learned a lot. So I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you for all of the information. And everyone have a great day. Thank you for joining us. Hope everybody survives the spring. <laughs> yes.